So when you say like every band ever, like is do you mean like Daft Punk? Yeah, sure. Like BB King? Yeah. Inya? Yes. What about Rage Against the Machine? Oh yeah. Did you do the Moana soundtrack? <sighs> Soundtracks. Okay. Okay. So so it is hyperbole. What is it? Well, Every I don't know. Is the, Moana, is the Moana soundtrack a band? I guess we're getting into semantics here. To me, I consider soundtracks are more of, uh, I can I can leave or take those things because they're not an actual band performing original music. Okay. But some soundtracks have songs that you produced. Yes. Okay. But the Moana soundtrack specifically, you did not produce. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to pick that up. Usually, if it was a, a band or an artist and they're doing original work, of course, but... Moana, I, you know, I think what that about, was many people, right? Probably several a, people did that, including just the Rock. Moana. I think, I think The Rock had a lot to do with that. Uh, what about Phil Spector's Christmas album? Did you produce that? Oh, Christmas albums I just like. So I will do all of those. That's okay, just, but I feel like that was famously produced by Phil Spector. Right, but a lot of times I don't need the credit for these things. So I, a, a producer will be a producer, but I kind of come in as an overproducer. You know, and okay. I will also work behind the scenes. So it's sort of like having a ghostwriter sometimes. So I'll be there, but I don't necessarily need to be in the credits. I don't need to be, you know, uh, mentioned or noticed. It's sort of, you know, people know that I've been doing it, but uh, but nobody that I know, but people in music circles. So so you were just kind of over Phil Spector's shoulder for that. I do love that album. Thank you. Way. Yeah. That Winter Wonderland and, you know, Darlene Love, uh, Christmas, like, you know, they play it every year. It's a great sound. That's a really fun time for me because I get to hear all my Christmas albums. You know, that's like a special, it's like a present every year. I just got a few more and then, and then we can get on to to the the main artist. No, let's talk about it. Yeah. But you, you did Nickelback? Yeah. And Creed? Yeah. And Train? Yeah. And uh, Sublime? Yes. Yeah. I, I, actually, I actually like Sublime. I think they kind of get a little... Uh, They're just different. They're unfairly just different. dissed. Yeah. But, okay. yeah. Well, okay. So you really have covered a wide swath of the yeah. musical landscape. Everybody's different, you know? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I guess, like, the w- with that all to choose from, to, like, to pin it down to, like, one person, I guess I'm most curious about tom waits let's talk about tom waits you're listening to part one of a two-part conversation between craig kikowski a fan of tom waits and tamara federici producer of every band ever already in progress yeah he's he's done so much so I, i can't say that i know his entire oeuvre but definitely like there's a chunk in like the mid 80s with like swordfish trombones to rain dogs, Frank's wild years. Like I feel like that stuff I, I know pretty well and I, I'm fascinated by those those albums. Uh, did you have anything to do with those? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really excited about those and people don't ask about that. Well, people don't ask me about anything. I haven't told anybody, but um, yeah, I, you know, I feel like that's been got that that's gotten forgotten about. So I'm really glad that you uh are influenced by that album and that that you find it exciting i guess my first question is like what is it actually like being in a room with tom waits because i don't know you know i know him as an actor and i know kind of his persona 
as a as a singer this kind of like you know slouchy hipster alcoholic beatnik you know just rolling out of bed at you know 2 p.m and getting a coffee and a cigarette and then you know voice made a sandpaper like to what degree is that uh, a put on is it a persona or is that just who he is I would say it's 75% of who he is, is is sort of like a weird undertaker who throws glitter at you, um, but he goes to the Emmys every year, right? That's the other 25% is like this weird thing of like... A lot of contradictions there, yeah. Why doesn't even, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And yet, you know, uh, he's like the most basementy guy, you know? Yeah. And... You know, there are some things, especially the you know the 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 Jarmusch years are feel really right for him, and I don't know that now is a now it's not really a Tom Waits time. Like this feels like how does he even exist? How does Tom Waits exist in twenty twenty two? But he still does. Yes, he does. He's seventy (laughs) two. I missed him on the Emmys this year because that that was a tradition, right? That every year he would be on the Emmys, you know. No, no, no. he just sits in the one. audience. He just sits in the audience. <laughs> he just goes for the audience. That's what's so strange. He just appears. He just appears and then he leaves. He's and not, not even the Grammys. Like it's the Emmys. He no. loves sitcoms. Yes. That guy. He can't stand the Grammys. I mean, he's not wrong, but it's it's just odd. And so that voice of like that that uh that tom waits uh kind of gravelly voice that's that's for real yeah that's for real that's for real <laughs> do you, as his producer did you ever suggest like did you ever give him a lozenge or no i just you know i feel like if you tried to clean him up he might just explode and die you know <laughs> that's not the that's not what you want to do with tom waits you just want to make him more and more gnarly and uh random drips <laughs> and just you know jazzy if you take the dirt off of him he might be translucent you know so it feels like as a producer then part of your job is kind of like setting the tone for him in the studio to do what he does and and be who he is how, how did you do that um well for this particular album for rain dogs um you know we had a lot of like two by fours and there was a lot of like whacking on the walls, whacking on trees. A lot of tires were stacked up. We threw a lot of tires. Um, you can barely hear that sound on the album, honestly, but it sort of all goes with the ambience, right? Um, it must reach people subconsciously, right? To know that, that a tire is being whacked somewhere in the background. They know. They don't know, but they know. You know? Like, they know. You can hear that. Like we have good enough sound equipment that they can do that. One time we were throwing, uh, you know, like we were blowing out birthday candles and you can hear that at the very end, once everything else, once the horns go out and the squeaky shoes go out, you can just hear a little bit of like, and then it stops, you know? Wow. I'll have to get better quality headphones, I think, because I would love to uh, love to hear that. Um, I wish I was more of an audiophile, actually, so I can pick up on some of those subliminal, you know, Easter eggs that you, you put on the record. Yeah, there's so many. That one's so fun. Now, uh, I mean, there's this is a, a big album. There's 19 tracks on the album. Some of them are just kind of like 
jangly instrumentals. There's also a lot of musicians, right? I mean, there's like a couple dozen musicians worked on them. There's all kinds of instrumentation. And what I like is it sounds like very homemade and especially like running counter to like the typical like 80s big sound. Like this is the time of like, I don't know, Steve Winwood and Don Henley and like, uh, you know, drum machine, which you all must have also done those albums. Yeah, yeah. But a lot more people were doing what you're talking about and not Tom Waits, you know, for sure. <laughs> There's, um, right. I was trying to think. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blind Melon. Uh, I think it's around this time. Was <laughs> so, Blind yeah, Melon of, of No Rain fame? <laughs> right. I, I, I think No was Rain was more like 1993. You know, I, I oh, don't want to, right. you know, you're the right, producer. Right. I don't, I don't want to pin you down, but. No, um, I don't remember years that well. There's so many that I don't, a lot of times I'll forget names or I'll forget years or, you know, there's just a lot to manage. It must all blur together. Uh, but one of my favorite tracks is Jockey Full of Bourbon. I guess my, my only question on Jockey Full of Bourbon is, you know, it's a great song, like great groove all the way through. Mark uh, Rebo, I think, is the uh, guitarist who has such like a unique sound. And that it's one of my favorite guitar solos ever. But there's like, there was a decision that you must have made. Like there's a baritone sax that comes in for only the last five seconds of the song. And it just kind of seals the deal. Like it feels so good. Like there's no sax throughout the song. At the very end, like this just this bass heavy sax comes in. What was the decision uh, behind including that sax in the last five seconds of Jockey Full of Bourbon? <laughs> we actually wanted him to go on longer and he was kidnapped. And that was unfortunate. It was crazy. <laughs> it was really like he The just, sax player was kidnapped? He just got, he just got in there. He just got one note and then just came out of nowhere. It was, we've never seen We've never seen him. We didn't see that guy. He was dressed up like a wall and then he came off the wall and then he immediately sacked the guy and his instrument. And, you know. So the the kidnapper was there disguised as a wall throughout the entire process. And then the sax player showed up late. The sax player, who was the target all along of this kidnapping? Showed up late for the recording session, got a few notes in, and was immediately secreted out of the room. Yeah, I think he had marital issues. I don't know. That was it. Was seemed like a private matter, so we just kept we kept recording because it wasn't you know, I I uh, you know I did my due diligence. I said, did anybody here do that? Be honest, and you know it, it was not it was not Tom. It was not anybody. You know, it was not anybody else there. It wasn't me. So, you know, he, he wasn't killed on the spot. So I just was like, look, my job is to get this done. So, okay. yeah. You never got an update on his status? I just had to move on to other bands, you know? I, sure. I can't, there's somebody else that has to be the long, the long game person in this, you know? Well, I guess that, that is the magic sometimes of the studio is like, you got it. You got it. You got that five seconds. And maybe like... Maybe what I'm hearing is the urgency of like the urgency of playing those notes before he was uh, he was abducted. Oh my gosh! Do you think he knew? Do you think he just had a feeling? He must have. Whoa! As you said, you know, it was uh, he was having marital issues, so of like you know, he must have been like looking over his shoulder at all times. I mean, it did make us worry about walls, and we did some stuff outdoors for a little bit, but uh, yeah. 
That was the craziest thing. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't lead with that when I asked you about the album. There's like, so many think... things. There's so many oh, things. So there's crazier stories? Okay. Well, I would... Mm, the one I almost told... It, it's not the craziest story, but it is sort of like when you were asking me what Tom Waits is like. Like, he has this thing called cashiering, and it's... He likes to, like, hop into, you know, in a grocery store, and if there's an open lane... He'll actually get in the cashier, uh, you know, in the, you know, cashier booth and just start ringing up groceries. And he just does that for fun. It's sort of like David Sedaris with um, picking up trash in England or something. But yeah, I guess I call it cashier. Well, I don't remember who started that, but, um, but yeah, he's done it for years. You'll never know it's him. I feel like I would know it's him. Like he just has that distinctive look and distinctive voice. He doesn't say a lot. Like, he, he, it can almost be a silent transaction, you know? He just scans the groceries. Mm-hmm, and maybe a low moan. And does he bag them as well? Yes. He's very good at bagging. So it must have taken a while to do this album if he's, like, going off on these cashiering escapades. I mean, it's actually fine. His whole group knows that this is how he works. Like, he works very organically and... um you know, if you want to work in a studio with him, sometimes um, you're going to build that studio with, uh, you know, lots of different things. Sometimes it's just uh, different shapes of rocks. Sometimes it's, um, you know, brass instruments. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, he'd prefer it if you all dress up as, um, you know, in zoot suits, you know, whatever kind of gets the mood going um, and whatever's kind of feeling authentic to him at the moment. So, um you know, one day he called up and he was like, I'm not, it's for uh, Cemetery Polka. Love that song. He, act, he asked us to show up uh, like accountants and then change into pioneer outfits. And I, I don't really know what a pioneer dress is like. Uh, so that was difficult, but I just said yes and got it together. And that seemed to get him in the mood. And then he was able to make that song. And, you know, I feel like that's such a fantastically weird song. Yeah, I guess I'm picturing like Little House on the Prairie kind of dresses. You know, the closest I could get was just uh, I was thinking uh, uh, more explore. So I, I might have had the vibe a little bit wrong. But, uh, you know, overall, it, it seemed to do the trick. Um, but somebody else may have done, you know, would have taken it a different direction. So you all had to do a costume change halfway through the recording of the song. Yeah, you have to do, you have to come prepared. I mean, you know, sometimes it's scales and sometimes it's a costume change. You just don't know. That's what makes them so good. What would a typical diet be for, for Tom while recording the album? Uh, a single bean followed two hours by another single bean. Okay. Kidney, just, lima, uh, black, hmm. chickpea, or did it matter? Gosh, I don't remember. I want to say it was a kidney. Uh, I'm not positive on that, though. It is the uh, Cadillac of beans. Do you know who uh, who really loves beans? They're Slipknot. They love them. Really? Yeah. Do they eat more than one at a time? Oh, yeah, just bowls. They're nuts. They're crazy. <laughs> So I imagine a Slipknot studio would would smell differently than a uh, yeah. It's like our pits and beans, totally. (laughs) I feel like you can hear that in the music. 
It's kind of little armpit and beanie. I don't listen to a lot of Slipknot, but okay. uh, I, I imagine if I did, I, I would feel like I could smell it as well. Yeah. They're nice boys. Now, Tom Waits' lyrics are so unique. Um, and did you have anything to do with the writing of the the lyrics, or were you kind of hands-off? I will help if they want me to help. And um, sometimes I'll throw in something. Um, you know, I did some hand claps, which I love to do on these. Um, on there, clap hands? Yeah. There's a song called Clap Hands. Yeah. That one's, I mean, I feel like he made that one for me, but... I'll never know. Um, you know, I, and uh, there was uh, uh, the one that was "What's He Building in There." I used to. Yeah, that's it. a different album, but yeah, that's that's one. There's always like a spoken word piece on every Tom Waits album. Yeah, right. It, for that one, I. Um, What's I he building it, in there? Exactly, and I would answer him, and he was like, "Stop! Don't. That's not." He that's actually not. didn't want the question answered. Right. It turns out that's not the kind of answer. That is, you just, <laughs> that's just a, a hypothetical, doesn't actually want to know. So I was trying to deliver on that for him and no, that wasn't the way to go. Yeah. I, I do want to ask about some of the lyrics because at least as the producer, you're, you're going to have to like understand like what, what he's getting at with some of these in order to like mm-hmm. deliver the message of the song. Okay. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, cause I, I, I think he just has like such like surreal kind of, you know, beat Nick kind of imagery in there. Um, so the title track rain dogs, uh, has a lyric inside a broken clock, splashing the wine with all the rain dogs. What, what does that mean exactly? Oh, that's, uh, alcoholism. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So pretty straightforward. Yeah. That's a pretty, I feel like you just gave me right. Keywords. (laughs) It's just a cry for help. Okay. Yeah. It's just like, this is going to be, I'm, I might be a little drunk. This is how this album's going to go. Welcome. Right? That's sort of our in- incantation. And Cemetery Polka, which I talked about before, I, I love that song because it's like, it's all of like his aunts and uncles and their eccentricities and how, you know, he's waiting for all of them to die to get the inheritance, basically, or maybe kill them for the inheritance. Um, but there's one line, Uncle Vernon, independent as a hog on ice. What does independent as a hog on ice mean? I guess I'm picturing like a, a, a hog skating, but maybe. Uh... Oh, really? Yeah. Is this, uh, here's my question. Right. Is this, is this one of your favorite songs or is this sort of just like a one where you're like, I'm tolerating it? No, I, I, I you love in, in the nineties, I put Cemetery Polka on a lot of mixtapes for relationships that ultimately didn't work. <laughs> What's that mixtape? Can you make that mixtape, please? <laughs> I feel like I made it many times in the nineties. <laughs> Um, this is, yeah, this is about, uh, somebody being rich and living in the suburbs. Really? Yep. He's independent. As and, a hog on ice. Yep. These assholes in the suburbs. <laughs> uh, how about let me fall out of the window with confetti in my hair? I mean, <laughs> that's pretty, <laughs> did we record that? Because that just mostly happened <laughs> several times. <laughs> why was confetti in his hair? Oh my God. Why is confetti not? In his hair? I mean, like why? Of course confetti's in his hair. Confetti's in his pockets. If he reaches to pay for something with a credit card, confetti falls out. I mean, this, this guy is basically one big balloon. He's always in a celebratory mood. He's just always, he's always spring loaded. 
He's always spring loaded with dust or glitter, you know, and a hat. <laughs> so he's a lot of fun. I mean, like this is if you want four people at the end of the night, at the end of a session, uh, <laughs> if you want to have a weird good time, it's somebody who carries dust and glitter in their left and right pockets and, you know, who's going to have like some chattering teeth that cross the table while telling you about some some New Orleans uh, dead body floating around, you know? I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to have a pocket of dust and a pocket of glitter on, on either side because you never know when you need either one. I feel like you are you are thinking like Tom Waits. That's exactly. You never know. Go to every band ever on Instagram for updates or to suggest a band. Craig Kakowski is an actor and improviser based in Los Angeles. People usually recognize him from Drunk History, Community, Veep, or dozens of projects he was not in. And Tamara Federici has only the hat part of her Halloween pumpkin outfit done. The editor is Will Velasquez. The audio engineer is Clark Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Who are you? Who? 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 Who?